Hello there. Welcome to our podcast, Conversations in Noosa. My name is John Caruso. You know, In Noosa is more than just a magazine. It's been a vehicle for local community to connect and share stories and ideas. And it's been a place where local business and brands thrive. Together with the Conversations in Noosa podcast, In Noosa continues to inform, inspire and indulge its readers and its listeners. Advertising deadlines for the winter 2019 issue of In Noosa magazine are closing soon. In Noosa magazine distributes 13,000 copies of each issue every season and 15,000 copies during summer, saturating the Noosa market and Noosa hinterland areas. More copies than any other publication, ensuring that your brand is seen by consumers who live or holiday close to where your business is located. In Noosa is a high-quality coffee table magazine printed on 100% recycled stock, distributed across 15 handcrafted magazine stands and available in the rooms of high-end accommodation places like the Sofitel, Pepper's Noosa Resort and Villas and Natania on Hastings. For more details and advertising opportunities for the winter issue, email deb, D-E-B, at innoosamagazine.com.au or call her 0428 853 All right, on with the podcast. Oz Bailden is a rare breed. He's a world record holder for a number of unique gigs. For example, the highest concert on land, which happened in Nepal. And he's working on a few other record-breaking plans, including the longest performance down the Amazon River in South America and the craziest gig, which will include a performance on top of a hot air balloon. You heard right, on top of a hot air balloon. The question I can hear you asking is, why? Oz has been a musician and an event and venue manager for over uh, 20 years, most of that time in London, and he admits he lived a cliched sex, drugs and rock and roll lifestyle until a trip to Nepal where he met a group of local children who'd been repeatedly physically abused by their parents and gang members And then the kids with their broken limbs were made to beg for money on the streets. This was a life-changing moment for Oz. I hope you enjoy the podcast. We start by talking about what Oz tells people when they ask him what he does for a living. Well, generally, yeah, it depends which which mood I'm in. (laughs) I've got about seven different hats. I know. Yeah. That's why I wanted to know... How- so generally I'll always say operations manager at the muster yeah, uh, and then say director of the active community. Then the next question will be, what's the active community? And then the uh, next question will be, how long you got? <laughs> and then we'll work from there. So, uh, you know, I, I generally always start with the, um, with the world records you know, and what, what they achieved. Uh, so, yeah, we'd Well, they're always good conversation starters. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> sort of, uh, sometimes you just feel like maybe you feel like you're pissing in your own pocket. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, all of these things have had social consequences and the more I say about them, you know, it leads into why we did it and uh, the good that we're doing at the end of all of these things. And that, yeah, that's predominantly why they've been done. They haven't been done just to stand there and say I'm a Guinness World Record holder. They've been yeah. done to build an orphanage or you know, fund a school or... Or do what we do. Well, tell us about some of those world records. Uh, where, where, where shall we start? Nepal? Yeah, Nepal, yeah. yeah. So 2002, I think, um, I went to the U... Uh, I came over here, actually, and I was doing a, a little solo tour around uh, around Noosa and the coast. 
And one of my old sort of mentors, Ian Farrington, who used to um, have the music shop in Noosa like way back when, and uh, he used to put all our gigs on when we were kids. You know, so you know, the Royal, you know, we used to play at the Royal Mail and the Villa, and yeah. You know, but he always had gigs going on for us young fella, young fellas, and there was loads of bands everywhere. You know, we, you know, you're flat out seeing youth playing these days, and if you do, it's a bit of an occasion. Uh, and that's something I'm trying to recreate with Noosa Come Together. So I've set up a youth stage, predominantly, so you, the youth have at least one gig a year to to get some exposure. So he's uh, he said he was doing this uh, international music festival in Nepal. I'd always had this, you know, this mystical thing as a kid, you know, in my head. Like, um, I even think I said a bullshit story when I was, because I've had, I've been back and to from uh, Australia and England, because my dad lives in England a few times as a kid. And I do think uh, I'd created a story where I'd stopped in at Nepal as a stopover, and I had my head shaved with the monks, right? And this wasn't actually a lie; it was just actually med- premeditating the future because it, it happened. <laughs> And I think I made it happen just so that wasn't a lie. And um, so, yeah, I always had this mystical mystical connection with Nepal. Uh, And I said, man, I'll come. And at the time I was running um, a place called the Bedford in Balham in London and um, we'd just won every award in the country. Uh, Best pub in Britain, best live music venue, independent newcomer. Uh, The list was just huge that year. And I I set up all the music... um, there with another friend of mine, James Carrington. And we just put together an acoustic night. Um, this is like a three-storey place, like a Shakespearean globe in the middle of it, uh, predominantly famous for comedy. Like it's probably the biggest and most famous gig outside the West End in, in the UK. But it was doing nothing else on Friday, apart from Friday and Saturday. And I was going, man, we should be doing gigs in here. And then had a ballroom upstairs. I was going, we should be doing stuff here. And then upstairs, it was like this little, beautiful little acoustic room. And I was going, we'd do acoustic nights. So we started with acoustic nights and moved it down to the ballroom, uh, to the Shakespearean Globe, the theatre room, and called it the best of, and it just took off. And we just had musicians jumping over us to play there. So I used to, um, you know, when I said to Ian, I said, man, I'm, I'm running pretty much the biggest acoustic club in in uh, London, uh, if not one of them. Uh, why don't I bring over some acts as well? And, you know, I'll be the, be the UK contingent. Went to Nepal. Um, they were born again Christians that had gone over there from the Aussie contingent, mm. uh, and they took me to their orphanages and stuff. And I, was, I, I wasn't a hundred percent on giving them Christian names and sort of ostracizing them from their community and losing their values. Yeah, if you know what I mean. And, um, but I just got taken in the heart. I was like, bang, this is something that I should be doing. And then you know. It was a pretty full-on regime of playing music. Um, they, the, the Christians there, had a lot of ethical work to do, so I was sort of left holding the, the flag of doing all these other gigs while they went and did their thing, you know, which I was happy doing. And then sort of when I had a bit of time off, I just went for a walk. You know, this is probably two days into it. And um, I found a kid, um, you know, that had letter S's for arms and letter S's for legs, and I'd heard about parents breaking and re-breaking, no, not just necessarily parents, but gang members and stuff. So they get hold of kids, they break their arms, make them beg, they get more money, wow. they keep breaking them. And this, mm. I mean, this kid was severely deformed. So I picked him up and uh, took him, man, 30 metres um, just to a shop. I thought I'll, uh, you know, just give him a fee. He wanted money and, I, you know, I'd been told not to give him money. It just goes to stiff and glue and all that wow. sort of stuff. So I said, I'll, you know, jump on my back and 
took him for a walk and then, um, yeah, when I turned around, there's like 30, 40 street kids there. And I fed them all for 30, 30 bucks. Well, 30 quid. So what's that, 50 bucks? Yeah. Um, you know, and in those days, I was sex, drugs and rock and roll. You know, that 30 quid would be spent on the night mm. in the UK getting high in some form. You know what I mean? As soon as I did this, I just went, "Wow, this is this is life changing." I mean, it was it was amazing. Like, just I bought them all a sandwich each. Uh, I bought them a soft drink each, which they'd never had before. Uh, you know, and it it's I just found it hilarious. You know, watching them taking sips of the soft drink and the bubbles. Yeah, because you know, they'd obviously never. No, I can imagine. Purely new to them. Yeah. And I gave them a chocolate bar each. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I spent 30 quid. Look what 30 quid can do here. So I went back to the UK and I said, oh, you know, I definitely want to do something. And we, you know, we started doing all that traditional stuff, packing shopping bags at supermarkets and having quiz nights and rah, rah, rah. It was so laboriously hard work and boring, if I can be honest. Even putting the gigs on, you know, um, it was so much effort to try and get people to come and play for free or for the cause yeah. rather than for themselves, you know, which sort of lost the purpose for me. Yeah. So there's no point putting a charity gig on if people aren't coming with that in their heart. True. If they're coming to the charity gig just because they want to play and show off their shite and then walk away and miss all of what it was about and not share it with their people passionately like we're trying to do. Yeah. So anyway, I went back to Nepal the next year and Ian Farrington was there again and um, – he just said, let's break the world record for the highest gig and take a chopper up to base camp and do a gig and fly back. And, you know, I've always been one never to think anything through. I just go, yeah, let's do it. Right? <laughs> so we went to a couple of embassies to try and get some money to make it happen. Uh, and then we went and saw a doctor and he goes, if you do that, you'll die. Yeah, you Why? Because you've got to acclimatise. He said, the only way to do it is to walk up. Right. You know, you can maybe get dropped at Tembeche and then walk from Tembeche, but there's no way you can... What kind of altitude are we talking about? 5,250 metres. Metres? Yeah. Yeah. So um, so I said to Ian, well, let's do the walk. Let's do a trek. And he said, no, there's no way I'm walking. And then, you know, it wasn't something I ever wanted to do without him. Yeah. But I took the reins because he wasn't going to do the walk. And I said, well, we can't fly up. Now we can, apparently. You know, you can go up there and spend 15, 20 minutes um, on base camp and come back. And to do the gig, Oz, what um, what equipment were you taking with you? Was it just acoustic guitars? <laughs> what, what, what did you have to carry? Now, so we took our acoustic guitars. I wouldn't say what we carried, the porters carried. You know, those poor <laughs> buggers over there, they do it hard, hey? Um, so because no one had really been to that height and done a... An electrical gig before we um, we were unsure what we got told was that batteries lose a lot of power with altitude um, so we took two truck batteries that porters had to carry the poor yeah. Um and we took an inverter which was as heavy as those batteries and then we took um, just a little four channel desk um, and it was all bought on the fly just before like we're doing the trek where from uh, around Kathmandu I got put in a cab with a guy who doesn't speak English I just saw him last time when he was in Nepal actually it was great just reliving it because you now he speaks pretty good English you know but then he had none and he's trying to talk to me about being electrical I'm going mate I don't know all I know is I've got a desk and a guitar and I know how to make that work I don't know how to get power to it that's why you're here <laughs> but we couldn't correlate that you know what I mean yeah. so anyway we ran around got all this stuff we were in the 
in the hotel room, plugged it in, went broom, strummed it once, literally once. Broom, works, let's go. So off we went, start trekking up the mountain. um, And then we got up to the Perrache, maybe Perrache somewhere, even a bit higher than that maybe. And uh, we thought, well, let's have a gig and a little practice run. And in London to promote the gig, this is pre-internet and Facebook and all that sort of stuff. What year were we talking about? 2005. Right. So definitely for me anyway, because I'm a bit of a technophobe. So you know, even an email for me was took me a while to get invested into that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So 2005, pretty much that year, I ran up and down high streets in London in women's underwear, um, dressed as outrageously as I possibly could, and got other people to take their clothes off and join me. And at that time, Nepal was in war. Yeah. So I'd walk down with a megaphone, um, shouting "Peace for Nepal," "Get your kid off for Nepal," that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so we did we did the Saturday before um, before Christmas down Oxford Street, and the police saw me getting undressed and came over and was like, "What? You know, what's going on here?" And I said, oh, "I'm just doing this world record in Nepal. You know, we just want to be here to promote it. Um, I'm running down anyway." They gave us a, a uh, escort, <laughs> and then all these people started joining us, and the line got bigger and bigger. Yeah. So anyway, it, it was a, it was a lesson to promotion companies. Really, and I'm lesson to myself about promotion, and it wasn't sort of intended that way. It was just, it was almost just like a something that was said in the pub, you know. Let's just do this. You make it, some noise, get some attention. Yeah, and, yeah. It, and it happened. So we had ten thousand flyers that were gone in within fifteen minutes. Wow! Just because everyone was like, "Oh, what's going?" You know, and they were taking them. We yeah. weren't handing them out. We were just walking along with their hands in, and people were coming taking them. And then when we were at Perrache, we did this. Went to do this gig, right? Boom! We couldn't get it to work. Well, set the scene. So you're about five k up. We're probably about four there, four three, four four, I reckon. Right. Four seven, I think Perrache is. Uh, I haven't done anything like what you've done and experienced, Oz. Is it hard to breathe? Is it hard to talk? Oh. And then hard to sing at that altitude? Is that at where we were? Not really. Actually, that whole trip, I don't think so. Uh, I remember being on the summit of uh, Kalapatar and doing the gig, and just going, "That wasn't extreme enough." You know, it didn't feel like a world record should. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I felt like I just did a trick with a guitar. Yeah. Um, thus, well, I went back and did it properly and, you know, uh, I've got plans. You know, if my mother and my missus hear this, they're going to hate me, but I have plans to go back to Summit Everest. It's in my heart to do it. Yeah. Um, whether I get there or not, but that's that's none the buy. You know, how far I get is going to be higher than I was. Yeah. And I'll do the gig. I'm not going there to die. I'm- so do you still hold the record? Yeah. Yeah. So the 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 what? So how do you term it? The highest altitude gig. The highest concert on land. Yeah. yeah. And and what was the altitude? Six thousand six hundred and forty-five. Over six k up. The last one. That was tough. Wow. Yeah. Like the last day was. Um, man, it was tough. It was ten steps. Stop. Have a breathe. Wow. Think about it. Ten steps, and then it just got to not even looking up to where the peak was. Just 10 steps, keep your head down. And I had 19-year-old kids with me who were fit, like one of them had been signed with Tottenham Hotspur, you know, and so he he wasn't out of shape. Yeah. And they dropped off all by the way. But I've always had this amazing thing that when I get into the mountains, I just get stronger. I've been sick both times. So the first time we went, I I picked up this guy who fell off a cliff. Um, I was doing the trail guide, so... um, one of our guys, a Jamaican mate called Chris uh, Gonga, uh, was very unfit um, 
and he just lagged well behind when we got to Nambushay, which is a real, it's probably the hardest part of the Everest, but it's only like on day three. So you're in your shorts, you're in a T-shirt, it's quite warm, quite tropical. But when the sun goes, it's, you know, it, it's cold. Yeah. So anyway, I'm walking with him and then um, one of the guides came and grabbed my bags. He said, oh, I'll carry these. Okay. And I was going, man, no, no, it's cool. We can, you know, I can carry his and mine. It's good. You know, because we just kept stopping and stopping. And he took our bags. So anyway, the sun started to go down. And I was going, oh, man. So I got him at a... Um, at a porter station. The funny thing is, he hadn't eaten an egg since he was about five. He hated them. It's the only thing they had there. You know, because porter stations don't have your know, cuisines like yeah. for, catering for us. You know, they've just got for porters, which is maybe a bag of dry noodles and, and an egg. Yeah. So he had to eat this egg. I've, I've got it on film somewhere. It was hilarious because he was nearly hurling and carrying on. So anyway, I left him there and I, I was going to run up to Namche, where all the gang were now, and uh, go get our clothes and come back and give him some warm clothes and and do the walk because it was freezing. As I'm going around the corner, this is probably, uh, still probably 15, 20 minutes outside Nambushay. We're going around the corner and uh, this guy had fallen off a cliff, uh, Nepalese, and he's got two girls there. And I said to the girls, I said, oh, has anyone gone to get help or do you want me to go and get help? And they said, oh, no, he's, his mum have said to leave, mum and dad said to leave him here to die. And I said, you're joking. They said, no, 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 he's a drug addict and alcohol and there's seven kids and he always steals from the family. It's a very poor family and if he dies, it's more beneficial to the six kids. You know, and bang, there's a reality check right there and then, you know what I mean, of a culture, a culture shock yeah. you know, of, of how you can possibly conceive, conceive thinking that. So I, um, yeah, go around the corner. I just, you know, that was, it wasn't in my nature to, to do it. So I ran up and I ran around all these lodges looking for a doctor um, and then um, I sent other guys down to Chris to get him sorted, uh, and then I got down to this guy, and we we had a we found this big. Remember the old spring mattresses, like the, in the seventies, the big, mm. heavy duty yeah. ones, heavy as shit. So we grabbed that. He wouldn't get on it because it was too embarrassing. So I'm not going into Amche in town into the village being carried on a stretcher. It's you know. Too humiliating, rah, rah. So Anyway, I had to chuck him on my back. By this time, he's getting hypothermia and he's starting to freeze. So the warm clothes I put on, I put on him. Yeah. So I'm back in my shorts and shirt, but I thought if I put him on my back, I'll just go hard and stay physically active. You know what I mean? So I'm running around, uh, running into the, the village and then, you know, where's the health post? There's one up here. We'll get up there. It's closed. You know, and we're not saying up just up there. We're talking up there, you know, like burning your quads getting up these hills. So that one was shut. Then we went across to another one that was shut that was sort of straight across. That wasn't too bad. And then we found one that was open. Um, and uh, luckily the doctors had been uh, told to meet in our lodge and uh, I came and got them, Yeah, took them back. So went through the whole process with him. And, you know, I'm still in shorts and shirt and it's freezing now. Man. It's freezing, but we're in the health post and more concerned about him. Uh, the doctor's, you know, saying, oh, it's it's not life-threatening. It would have been if he was left out, but it's not life-threatening, but he'll have to go to Kathmandu. So a couple of us chucked our cash together and organised a, a flight for him back to Kathmandu. And, um, but before he got, you know, we got him all sorted and then uh, we took him back to his parents, knocked on the door, you know, not really expecting, 
you know, the reception we received. Anyway, they opened the door and they started spitting on him and shouting at him and going, we left you to die. Rah, rah, rah. Wow. Why did you bring him back to our house and all this sort of stuff? <laughs> yeah. And I was going, oh, man, and it's your son. I mean, you know, and then I sort of understood, you know, when I could see how they lived and where they were living, I understood, you know, that's still an animal world rather than yeah. the pandering we're used to. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But what a life-changing cha- moment. I mean, you said before the first time you, you arrived there with seeing the kids with the broken arms, the broken limbs, yep. to the lifestyle, the, the sex, drugs and love, you know, lo- yep. rock and roll lifestyle you're living. What a pivotal, pivotal moment. When I went back to London, I don't think anyone in London didn't hear about it. You know, uh, obviously the world's highest gig got a bit of a fair bit of exposure anyway, like in the Metro and the free rags and um, not as much as the second, funnily enough. You know, um, the first one was like a little paragraph, this big London crew go and beat it for a charity, blah, yeah. blah. Second gig, the world press didn't give two iotas about why we were doing it, who did it. Because, you know, on on the two world records, I took a bunch of fundraisers and musicians who were as much a part of it as I was. But the second time, it was all about me because I was going back to reclaim my record. You know, right. someone beat me in Bolivia. Right. So I just said, well, I'm going back because that's my record. Um, I don't care who or anywhere, anytime, but that is yeah, my record. Yeah. So I, uh, we went back, but the second time, you know, I was like, page three worldwide. Yeah. You know, like full-page articles. It was huge, all because I reclaimed my article, like rec- reclaimed my crown. The title. You know. But the message was lost? All lost. There was yeah. nothing about the charity, nothing about the other 10 musicians that went or, you know, the other 10, two people that yeah. participated, which made me feel terrible because they were, you know, they, they've, they've busted their balls raising money and doing all their bits as well, you know, and then to come back and it's just my head in the picture and, do you know what I mean? It sort yeah. of made me feel like I did, you know, it made me feel and I hope... I'm sure they don't, and I hope they don't. Made me feel, you know, like that I'd planned this trip for my own yeah. gain, you know. Yeah. But like, yeah, they went to see the orphanage that I was building. You know, we were still in building stage then. So they got to see why we were doing it. How long did you live in London for? Near on 20 years. Wow. So I went there first to be a rock star. That was my, my goal. Yeah. Um, and then I sort of ended up on the other side of the fence. You know, I ended up running pubs straight away yeah. uh, with no intent to do that. But every time I'd leave a pub and say, all right, I'm going to concentrate my music, I'd just get this other job offer that I couldn't turn down and yeah. I couldn't turn down and then I couldn't turn down. I ended up running massive music venues uh, and that became my speciality. Do you know, I became, you know, if, if there was a warehouse that needed to be turned into something or you know, an old Gothic church, was was probably my favourite favourite one that we turned into a a restaurant kitchen downstairs and a live music venue inside and that's where the idea for my venue um, came the White Line that we did in Streatham um, just up from Brixton you know because I was I was doing all this work you know and that game's not light on hours no you know it's heavy it's heavy lifestyle that goes with it. Was it a job offer that brought you back to Australia? No. My mother got ill. Okay. She had two um, brain operations and then, um, you know, I, I just had a little boy and he hadn't met her. Neve, my daughter, had only met her twice, um, you know, for short periods of time. Because so like, in England you can't take a kid out of school. If you do, you lose your spot. Right. You know? So we wangled a week. So three weeks was our longest trip and, I, you know, I just thought, 
I've been away 20 years. I'm an only child. She's a single parent. Yeah. Um, so it's it a close relationship. Where'd you grow up? In Nooseville. Oh, you grew up in Nooseville? Yeah, yeah. Right. The um, service station on the riverfront, you know, the, the, the Liberty there. Yeah. It used to be an SO and then a mobile. Well, me and my mum used to live upstairs and work downstairs for the Lani's. Uh, and then when they did the new build, uh, my first car, which was old HQ Holden, yeah. is now buried under the car wash. Wow. On Gimpy Terrace. Yeah. You know, very rare. And people would tell you it's very rare to find someone that, that born and bred. Yeah, that's right. Like, well, my son's going to school where I went to school, you know, yeah. and it's mad walking around those places because, you know, the memories that flow back. You know, I remember when he first started it, we had to go to parade ground. Went to parade ground and going, oh, they've, it's a lot smaller. They've closed it all in and blah, blah, And then I looked around. I was going, no, hang on. It's still the same. It's just that I was that big, Yeah. Know? Rather than standing here as an adult, do you know what I mean? But That's why they look different. Man, it was like one third of the size. I couldn't believe it. It was crazy. Blew me away. Hey, we'll get to the muster in a minute because you're still organising musical events, but you've got a, a lot of other things on, on, on your dance card as well. Tell me about the, the Noosa. Is it the Come Together Festival? Noosa Come Together, yeah. And, and the catalyst behind, behind that festival and your involvement, Oz? Sure. Um, so we created a festival in London called Brixton Come Together, and the idea of Brixton Come Together was there's so many people there doing great work um, but predominantly a lot of them are doing the same stuff and trying to survive rather than coming together yep. and being a larger force and be able to have you know so we saw all these people doing things we thought if we did one day we brought them all together you know and then brought the community together and we had a couple of stages and music and blah blah uh, it was a great success um, uh, mainly due to Brazilian friend of mine, Maria, she's like she's she's still running it now and doing an amazing job. Just a ball of energy. She's probably the only one that outshines me for eccentricity and all that sort of stuff. You know what I mean? Um, so I came back here, um, you know, and I got back here and I was thinking, what am I going to do? You know, London's so alive and you can make anything happen in a day. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that's what I was doing. Like every day, you know, when we left. Um, so I'll touch the white line first because that's sort of where the pretense of the it came from. Uh, when I left the last big venue, I remember just saying, I've got to do something for myself, like a venue for the charity, not a venue for people I'm making money for. So I, I had been asked a few years before to look at these venues and I was riding home and I went past this place and it had been shut for a couple of years and I just thought, man, I'll just hit them up and see what I reckon. They'd lost the license because a policeman got stabbed there. It was a real bad venue, had a real bad name. So I um, I rang him up and said, you know, how about I open it and get it back? And he said, oh, man, you'd be lucky to get it through licensing and, you know, pass the police and rah-rah. I said, mate, if it comes from my side, you know, I was doing loads of community stuff in, in the UK then. Uh, so anyway, we, we got the place. We renovated it all on donated materials, so donated paint. Like, people used to come in there and go... Who put those colour coordinated together? And I was going, man, we had enough paint to do that wall. We had enough paint to do that wall. We had enough paint to do that wall. We didn't have paint to do that wall, so we just sandpapered it, made it, made it look distressed. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And um, it had uh, 28 rooms above it that we opened up for homeless families. Um, so it was managed by us, but working together with the council. Um, and then we opened up the live music venue and we got we got music equipment from like the Royal Festival Hall, um, I made from the most amazing places. 
like top end venues who just you know the beauty of the digital age now is that everyone's throwing stuff away left right and center so i was just walking around grabbing it and you know uh, i got the whole whole floor from channel four so radio station man things we didn't even know what they were we took them. We probably got about 100, 100 TVs out of there, like yeah. all this amazing stuff. Sort of analog stuff. Yeah, 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 all analog. And the kids we were teaching, we want to teach them on analog because on analog you learn the direction of the sound. Yeah, like it starts there at a microphone and goes through that line and comes into the yeah. back of this machine, goes down that channel. Yeah, and you're in control of that channel. You know what I mean? You, yeah, you know, you're in the game. So we end up with this venue, amazing, amazing sound because it was like a big goldfish bowl, so it was hard to get a good acoustics, but we got an amazing sound happening. Great live music venue, and then we we um, opened up a workshop space out the back. You know, we just got a bunch of people in American Express came and helped me with all their volunteers, and it was like this derelict old horse barn, and we turned it into a workshop space. So we started doing DJ classes and... Um, and uh, you know, street dance, oh man, it was on permaculture, free stuff for the community, um, oh, it was amazing. And then downstairs I had envisioned, you know, recording studio, radio station, so we got the radio station happening because we got all that stuff from Channel 4. Um, and this was a little licensed, like, community yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the best thing about like a being, narrow caster or something like that? Yeah, well, yeah. just being a, a live music venue, you got loads of people coming in, Yeah, you know, and I could get on the microphone every night spout what we're doing yeah you know most people be like oh wow you know they didn't realize what the venue's about you know as, as you don't when you just go for a beer or go watch a, a live band or anything so we'd always got this people coming in then saying oh do you need this do you need that you know even all the furniture everything was donated you yeah. know and I, I just state that you know if if you see a rickety couch and you know someone has got one we'll take it yeah um i ran like that and we uh you know we had all this envision downstairs Boris Johnson uh, came to me and said, oh, you know, I've got 40 grand to spend in Streatham. Was the mayor at the time? He was the mayor at the yeah. time, yep. So he got 40 grand to spend in Streatham and he said, um, uh, would you like it? And I said, man, I don't do grants. It's not my forte. I do. This is what I do and this is my vision and we're doing it. But, you know, if I fill out your grant, I'm going to spend loads of time filling out your grant because it's not in my forte. Yeah. And then, um, you know, do I get it? Don't I get it? And he said, I said, I can just go go climb a mountain and raise the money again and do it. And I know I'm going to get the money. I'm going to have fun doing it. Yeah. And, you know, it's more in my realm to do that than to do that. So he got the Department of Works and Pensions um, to donate their time to write the grant. Good um, on him. Yeah, yeah. It was, he put a bit of, a, a bit of effort yeah. in it. And how it finishes is even better. <laughs> Forty I, grand. By the time he comes and looks at what we're doing, you know, not him obviously. It's his his uh, his his people under him. Came and saw what we're doing. They end up saying we'll give you a hundred. Wow. So we end up with a hundred k, and we end up putting in a lift, disabled lift to downstairs. Yeah. Uh, and you know we were up to a hundred kids a week. We're coming through the system. It was all live. We had gang kids sitting next to um, you know underprivileged kids. I hate using that word, but you know poverty stricken kids. Mm. Um, also, um, sat next to a middle-class kid or an upper middle-class kid because they, those parents love giving you their kids. Do you know what I mean? We'd, we'd have, the, we'd have the, we'd have people from the, the estates walk past on Streatham High Road. It's that kind of area. You know, it was 54% kids living in poverty when we took over. It was mm. perfect for the spot for us, mm. for what we wanted to do. And walk past, I was standing there going, you know, this when we first started, I was going, free workshops, free workshops, like handing out flyers as these people walking past, and they're like, oh, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you, nothing. And I'm going, I'm doing this for your kids. 
you know, and mm-hmm. giving them something to do where you don't have to pay money and this is an out for them. You yeah. Know? And even if it's a bit of free babysitting time, so you get some time in the loan, but I, I'm offering lots of classes. Yeah. So you can get a bit of your own time. And then she, uh, you know, and then the middle class would come past and go, oh, what's free? You know, and then take the flyers <laughs> off me. Bang, we got smashed by those kids and we had to really fight. Yeah. To get them in, you know, but then, you know, police started bringing us kids who were repeat offenders and, um, you know, and it ended up, because we're a charity, we didn't have any public funds. This is before Boris's money, you know, and um, we'd done it all on no, no public funds and uh, um, I got offered, you know, I, I, we got a, a reception at number 10 Downing Street, you know, while I was on the mountain. Couldn't do it while I was in London. Mm. El McPherson went in my place. So David David Cameron sent me an email and said, um, it, to "Tell us next time you're going up the mountain, because then they'll have another reception for us, and I can send El instead of me." <laughs> and um, yeah, and got to speak in the House of Commons about running, wow. running a charity and educating. We're the only charity in the UK educating kids on no public purse. Yeah, right. You know, we're just doing it on passion, and yeah, and uh, you know, we had some amazing people there. Real good family. But this happened to my mum. So we, we had to come home, and that's what, what was the question where we were at. Well, how you came back here. But, I mean, you know, those two lifestyles, all the, all oh, the stuff that, that you've, you've described to, uh, you know, the reception at Number 10 Downing Street to, that's a far cry from the kid that grew up in Gimpy Terrace there. Oh, absolutely. Do you yeah, think yeah. about that? How often do you think about that? Oh. That must be like two, two separate lives for you, Oz, are they? Yeah, uh, there's probably about four or five. I, um, I could be considered a schizophrenic, I think, because I do have – I spread myself over lots of projects. Yeah. And uh, I did try for a little period of time. I just concentrated on one project and it, yeah. I wasn't as productive. Yeah. Because the other juices weren't happening, if yeah, you know what yeah, I mean, yeah. and I didn't find it. I did yeah. as much as I did. No, I understand because yesterday when we were talking about locking the podcast in, you said, can you tell me what you want to talk about so I can get my right head on? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about Noose Come Together just or do you want to talk about the world records or do you want to talk about the Amazon gigs? Or- so we're covering a fair bit of territory here, but can we, um, back to the, the, the Come Together yep. uh, event, which is coming up in June. And that's um, that helps kids learning to sail? Is that right? Yeah. Well, what happened, I was I, we'd just come back from the UK and I was I was dying to find my head. You know, and I, I was going to all these disabled charities and, you know, I, I've got a charitable heart. I need to be involved in that and feel like I'm doing good to feel like I'm... Yeah, surviving, if you know what I mean. So I was going around to all these charities and everywhere I sat, they were just like, you know, looking at money or, you know, just in a stale environment and there wasn't real any interaction. And, you know, I was saying, let's go out and kick a football. You know, let's have a go at that. And I was like, oh, no, there's things about that that you can't do that without doing this. And, yeah, you know what I mean? Insurance is that the stuff. All that sort of yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I was sort of at a... At a <laughs> Going, why am I? What am I doing here? You know, I've always considered Noose to be my home, and it's always somewhere I consider myself to die. But I was going, man. In London, I was kicking huge goals, and I was creating my own path. You know, no one was doing what I was doing, and I was opening up new philosophies of thinking. You know, within the charity realms, and came back, and I was working in the yachty behind the bar, and then I saw the sailing come in, the disabled sailing, sailability. And they got out, and I was just man. I could feel the energy up in the up in the bar. Do you know what I mean? It's like it just rolled up the steps and hit me in the head. So the sailing manager at the time, Paul Blundell, comes upstairs uh, to have a beer afterwards, and I said, "Mate, how do I get involved with that? That was that was amazing. I just if I can be involved with that, that's exactly where I need to be at this moment in time to get for my own sanity because I'm going a bit insane." Yeah. 
And he said, mate, that's, that's the last one. We've lost all our funding. Who was supporting it? Where was the funding coming I, from? I, did, I never asked. Yeah. I never asked. I just All I heard was that there's not, it's not going to happen. I said, yes, it is. You don't cancel that. You make sure it still happens. Uh, by the time next year, so I think I had six months to make it happen, um, to get the funding again. So that's the idea. News came together. It was predominantly a fundraiser to raise money for that project. Yeah. Um, which now, you know, it was five years, four years, five years we've, we've kept it going. Uh, and now we're, we're you know, it, it, it's getting bigger and bigger each year and raising more and more money that it's now we're helping disabled, you know, there's fundraising going to disabled horse yeah. riding and disabled surfing and then uh, One to One Care, who's the charity that we we do it for, uh, great charity down Rochidor. Um, so now we even put money back into their emergency fund. So if, if disabled people are in dire emergency situations, there's a fund there that we're contributing yeah, to. But, you know, and, that, and that's all raised uh, every year from the, the Come Together Festival. From the Come Together. Wow. You know, and the bigger it gets, yeah, yeah, yeah. the bigger uh, contribution we can give. You know, these are the people in our community that we need to look after. Yeah. You know, and, and they're easily forgotten. There's no real inclusion. You know, we try to get a beach mat down on the Noosa, Noosa um, beach so these other people could get to the water. And did you do that recently? I thought I saw uh, some pics. A few years ago. Yeah, I mean it's happening in Maroochydore now. Maroochydore doing that's where it. I saw, and, yeah, um, couldn't get past the news council. Went to Kane. Well, I mean, one councillor came, but for me, that's something that all councillors should be coming. Yeah, at, you know, it's. Yeah. Um, but we couldn't get it through because it wasn't pretty. Do you know what I mean? But forget about all the disabled people in our community that need to be able to get. Why shouldn't they have access to the water? Because yeah. we have it. Yeah. Do you know. Um, none of us can get to Hastings Street anyway, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Um, so, in terms of getting people to to help you, Oz, and to support what you're doing here in Noose, is it different to what it was like in London? With being in the servo, growing up, Noose was tiny, you know, and there's only a couple of servos in town, and we end up knowing everyone. Like in 1988, my mother won the Noosa Tourism Award for pumping gas, but she could talk the bum off a hyena. Yeah, do you know what I mean? You got, you came in there, you had to struggle to get out. Because, you know, if it was busy, we obviously get moved on. But there used to be people who come into town, you know, in the old days, you'd always see the same faces coming to the same caravan parks to holiday every year. Yeah. You know, um, this is sort of when we're still a small fishing village. And they used to come into the servo and ask my mum what's her shifts yeah. and only come in on her shifts. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That was the kind of la- lady she was. Yeah. I inherited that gift of the gab. <clears throat> yeah. Which meant I've still got a huge network in Noosa. But in Noosa, there's so many things to do in your spare time, whether it's a walk down the beach or go surfing, go paddleboarding. You know, the, the list is endless. Um, which in London, you go to work, you come home, you go to the pub for a couple of pints, lots of pints, depends which way you are, where you're inclined. But you could generally dedicate more time to something you found passionate about yeah, yeah, because you didn't have all those distractions. Yeah, so you know? bigger population but kind of funneled into one or two areas, whereas here they're a bit more spread out. Yeah, well, too, yeah. you've got less population, but it, there's so much more to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, even just to drive up the beach. Yeah. You know, there's, there's just so much on offer here. Yeah. It's, it's, it's harder to get people involved in anything here. Uh, but I found getting sponsorship easier here because oh, okay. in London there's so much competition for, yeah. for any money available uh, from so many different angles where here, you know, again, I know people. So Laguna Real Real Estate has been, yeah. There's people working at Laguna Real Estate that I remember worked there 
when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, 14-year-old pumping their gas. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, coast to Coast Earthworks is a guy I went to school with and predominantly not even based in Noosa anymore, but because it's a Noosa event, that's where his heart still is. Yeah. This is where he's invested. So easy to get through your, your Rolodex. And how long have you been at the helm of the muster? Uh, well, I wouldn't say the helm. There's a there's a small team. Yeah. Um, so I came in at August, the month before the 2017 gig. Um, how are numbers for that going? It's on its way back. So when I came in, it was it was pretty chaotic. the the May the the core team, which is us now, had walked in May. Um, the board had sort of pulled it all together admirably because, you know, this is all in their spare time uh, and not a great deal of knowledge. You know, there's a couple of guys on there that have a great deal of knowledge, but, you know, that's a lot of work for just a couple of people, two or three people. So I came in a month before and paperwork was all over the place and, um, you know, that festival was just like not putting out fires, it was putting out infernos. It was just running around, you know, I think I probably had two hours, three hours sleep a night. You know, and for me, because it's a community event, it's all based around community groups coming together to put, to put the event on, yep. you know. And, you know, I felt there was a real us versus them there, you know what I mean, where they'd ask for something and it'd be like, oh, bugger them, you know what I mean? And not meant that way, but just going, we've got plenty of other things on our plate at the moment. So I was just running around trying to make everyone happy, pull it all together. And um, and it was only supposed to be an eight-week contract, so four weeks before, then four weeks debrief, and then job done then I'd go back tiling because I was tiling at the time which was doing one nut mm. you know and I'd actually just said to my wife I said listen I really think we should consider going back we just bought our dream house to up, London to London yeah I was just right. going man I, I need passion I, and I've got nothing here yeah you know there's you know my thing is putting on events and you know the things I was doing in London I said I'm not doing one of them here you know apart from Noosa come together and I was going I'm not getting enough from that you know with all due respect but it wasn't enough to feed my passions. Uh, I said, mate, let's go back. I'd, I'd get a new boozer and I'll finish what I started at the White Line because I could, didn't, couldn't finish because the landlords were very not into what I was doing, they, but they, I was bringing bucks in. Yeah. So they would just let me do what I wanted to do, but they weren't supportive in any way or form. If I had my own place in London, you know, I'd kill it. And I tried to get it here, the TAFE. I tried to get hold of the TAFE and say, took proposals to the council. Um, it's, a self, it's a self-sustainable education model. You know, so you're teaching hospitality, having a venue, but you're teaching media off the back of that. So you've got someone doing radio interviews. Like, So in London, we could have uh, a band playing upstairs, some kids sat on four tracks downstairs learning how to do live sound. You know, the, and the concept was the recording studio, they'd be able to do a live sound, sell them back to the bands. Yeah. So the bands can then remix them how they want. There's another form of revenue. And then the radio station feeds live and then does interviews with the bands and stuff afterwards and stuff. So, yeah. I was, you know, and then the bar and the the kitchen at a school, so you've got no overheads, which your kitchen's always your biggest overhead in, in any hospitality business, running a kitchen. You've got no overheads, so you can, you've can got a real low price point and nowhere in Noosa really ha- caters for the people in Noosa that has a low price point. Now it's all catered for Hastings yeah. Street. Yeah. Nooseville's now Hastings Street in my eyes. There's nothing where a family who are really struggling can go out and have a night out without spanking 200 bucks yeah. out of their budget. You yeah. know, the RSL is probably the closest thing to it. So the concept was that you could do $5 burgers 
you know, no one can whinge about the food. They can't whinge about the product because kids are getting educated. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, but yeah. it's getting the, kid, the youth here aren't engaged. No, I've heard that a few times. You know, and this yeah. would have would have engaged them because that it would have had a venue like I had in London. All the kids just hang in my venue in London because it was home. Yeah, it was a home away from home, and these kids, some of the a lot of kids in Noosa don't have a home they want to go home to, and if you've got somewhere that they can feel safe and be inclusive, you know, inclusive is my biggest thing in Noosa, and I just think there's no real inclusiveness in everything that's going on. There's all these pockets of things. It's so spread out. There's no right. kind of one focal point. Where well, there kids- is one focal point, and that's the council. But you know, I. I th- yeah, but activities for kids in terms yeah. of you know getting them all together. Yeah. So you, you you were considering heading back. Yep. Um, you were running the Come Together Festival. wasn't satisfying your needs in terms of uh, you know that passion inside and and organising things. You got involved in the muster. Yep. Numbers are growing. That's yep. good. Well, what happened was an eight week contract. Then we went to the UK. Uh, Brixton Come Together was on. Came back. Um, and then when I came back, they said, "Oh, I want to keep you on." Yeah. Um. So I said, man, that's music to my ears. So, yeah, here we are. And then last year, so the last two festivals, if it didn't make, if it lost money again, it was going to lose money. Five years it lost money. Um, We're talking about the muster. Yeah. Yeah. So the last um, two, so pretty much broke even, made a little bit of money on the the 17 one. Then last year, you know, close to 500,000 we made. Um, that's by shrinking a lot of the infrastructure. We didn't, we didn't get too many more bums on seats. But, um, you know, now we've opened up a few more avenues, you know, to bring in predominantly one or two huge marquee acts, yeah. you know, which the Master hasn't had for a long is time. Is that where the money goes, bringing in the, like, the international? Yeah, but two, you're building a city in the middle of a forest. Yeah, you talk about the infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, so there's no infrastructure. Yeah. I mean, just to have water yeah. costs you money. Yeah. you got to bring it in, you know. Um, it's everything costs you money because you're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, but you know, obviously, the talent budget is 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 a large size of it. But in the, you know, there was five years of you know, you could look at the bands that have been on for five years and you could throw them out, and you wouldn't see anything different. There's all the same acts, just two years on, one year off, two years on, one year off. That sort of needed to freshen it up a bit. Well, just um, for me, you've got to have a marquee act and that's where you spend your money and then you filter down the pyramid that way. Yeah. You know? And then you finish with a large base of local bands that yeah. get exposure at a big festival, yeah. um, which it wasn't doing either. You yeah. know, the couple of, I think there was like three or four gimpy acts on the first year, you know, where this year's filtered in more, but I'd still like to see a lot more local engagement. You know, yeah. the coast has some amazing talent and in, in a lot of diversity, you know, and I, again, I don't think there's, there's, you know, Calandra Music Festival is amazing in its diversity. Which, I mean, I'd like to see a bit more of that at the muster, just catering for the guys at home. Yeah. To have the opportunity to play in, in front of 7,000, 10,000 people, you know? You're not a lot, a lot of those opportunities anymore. No, no. Listen, Oz, I feel like we could, you know, we could chat about a hundred different things uh, all, all day today, <laughs> but we've, we've covered a fair bit of territory there. I want to uh, thank you for coming in. Can and- I finish on one thing? Yes. Just go- the next event I've got going on. Yeah, go ahead. Because uh, this is what I'm putting my heart and soul into yeah. at the moment. You know, once the muster's over and the noose come together's over. Um, but I'm going to break the world record for the longest performance uh, down the Amazon. So 65 hours nonstop. Yeah. Uh, I've got Cat Stevens guitarist coming with me. <laughs> Uh, Tom Curran, the XSurf Championship champion. Yeah. Uh, and I've got a couple of world musicians, and I'm just talking to um, the UN at the moment. Yeah. Uh, or will be in the next week or two. Um, and my goal is to get five refugee musicians 
from five different refugee camps that are different religions, different cultures, playing traditional instruments. Put them all together. Bring them together in the Amazon. Uh, and then we just jam with villagers all the way down. And the goal being, you know, we're trying to raise funds to build an ecotourism centre. And if we can build an ecotourism, it's a school. Yeah. I'll, I'll change that. So the Indigenous people, instead of having to work in logging and in oil rigging and all that sort of stuff, because they still do, because um, it's all they've known for three generations, is that we put them back from being employees of their environment to the guardians of their environment. And then we can arm them with tools like drones and things like that. So then they can look out amongst the forest and say, hey, an illegal drilling's happening out here. Rah, rah, and we'll set up a community board that will bring these things to the forefront, yeah. who's doing it and why and what company's doing it and start exposing these people, which, is, which isn't happening at the moment. And when's, uh, when's that planned for? October 2020. So uh, just over a year? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What did you say? 65 miles? 65 hours. 65 hours. Non-stop. Non-stop. When you talk about pulling into the villages, yep. just, you just keep, keep going. Keep cruising. Yep. What, kind then, of, what kind of vessel are you on? Um, it's like a, um, you know, the old paddle boat. Yes. Steamer, so it's got 18 bunks, on, 18 hammocks. Yeah, right, right, right. 18 hammocks, we're on the front deck. Yeah. Um, the world musicians will be able to sleep and come in and go, as, but for the to be a world record, four people have to start and finish. Right. Um, so we've got four of us that are are put in for the 65 hours. Yeah. Um, we're probably going to put it out as a fundraiser to other musicians to join us. Yeah. Because I already broke this record at 44 hours in London in my nightclub there and um, – the scene needed to change, and I started with 22 musicians, and we've just finished with four. Yeah. You know, so I'm probably going to need more musicians because people will drop out. At 65 hours is pretty full on. Have you told your wife, or is this the first time no, she's she knows hearing this about one. She knows this one, yeah. <laughs> this one isn't, uh, isn't too deadly. Because uh, I'm doing another one, which is the craziest gig, where I'm going on top of an air balloon and doing a gig on. So going up in an air balloon, then climb on top of it, do a gig on top of it, and then jump. Do what? A Pull a shoot, do a gig, and then land on stage and do a gig. When you say air balloon, hot air balloon? Hot air balloon, Like a yeah. Zeppelin. What are you talking about? No, hot air balloon, yeah, yeah. How are you getting to the top? Uh, rope. And you're going to climb on top? So rope ladder, yeah. Climb from the basket at altitude up onto the top of the basket. Must be hard getting insurance for yourself. Uh, yeah, but that's, why, that's where sponsorship comes in. Yeah, there's a price on everything, isn't there? No insurance company is ever going to say no to, <laughs> no to anything as long as they, uh, their quotas mess. Or maybe you know, someone out there that is an insurance company... <laughs> I would like to sponsor. And me. when do you want to do that? Um, I'm just trying to put something together for either Branson, you know, the guy at Flight Centre, or Dick Smith, you know, the three big guys who are into ballooning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if I can get their support behind me whenever they want me to do it. All right. Thank you, Oz. Pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me, man. I really, I really enjoyed it. It was good. Oz Bailden there. He was my guest on Conversations in Noosa this time round. Hope you enjoyed that. If you did, uh, please feel free to share it about on your social media networks. And if you're listening uh, via Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Stitcher, Wooshka, feel free to rate and review the podcast. Until next time, take care.